You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. Every spring, my wife and I plant a garden, and I think we can put a picture of it on the screen for you. Yeah, there it is, uh, or at least part of it. Um, and though all you can really kind of see in this picture is, is our squash, cucumbers, uh, beans, and chocolate pear, tomato plants, we also grow okra, peppers, passion fruit, strawberries, Swiss chards, blackberries, and radishes. And so we stay pretty busy throughout the spring and the summer, and it's such a stress reliever for me. Someone told me years ago that if you work with your hands throughout the week, you should Sabbath with your, your head, or if you have to work with your head, you should Sabbath with your hands. And so it's a, it's a great stress reliever for me. Really energizes me. But what's amazing is every year that I garden, um, you know, assuming that the weather cooperates, if we sow cucumber seeds, guess what we get back? Cucumbers. Absolutely. Or if we sow okra, we get okra. Or if we sow passion fruit seeds, uh, we get passion fruit back. And that is because the reality is when it comes to gardening, um, if you stay with it, eventually you're going to reap what you sow. And the reason I share that with you this morning is because though I know it's a pretty basic idea when it comes to gardening, what I want you to see is this idea of reaping what you sow is not only true when it comes to gardening, but it's actually true when it comes to all of life. Um, look with me in Galatians chapter 6, starting in verse 1. And Apostle Paul is writing here, and he just finished in Galatians chapter 5, talking about uh, the fruits of the Spirit and sowing to the Spirit rather than to the flesh. And here's what he says in Galatians chapter 6, starting in verse 1. He says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But because none of us are immune to sin, look what he says next, but watch yourselves or you yourself may also be tempted. Verse 2, carry each other's burdens and in this way you you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they they deceive themselves. So if there's anybody in here right now and you're like, you know, actually, like as I look around the room, I just assume I'm probably better than 99% of the people in this room, spiritually speaking. Like, yeah, sure, I still have a few struggles here and here, but you know, like no big sins, no big temptations. Like I think I'm pretty good. I've kind of come to a place where, yeah, like I feel like I've kind of arrived. And if that's where you are, Paul would say you are deceiving yourself. Verse 4, each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. So all through the scripture, what you would see is if you are the kind of person who would compare yourself to others, you would be considered spiritually immature, especially if you're comparing yourself to others who aren't as good as you, just so you can make yourself feel better. Verse 5, each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. That's just Paul's way of saying, hey, it's okay to pay your pastors. Like, they're giving you the truth. And therefore, since they're giving you something that will change your not just this life, but but your whole eternity, it's okay to share with them uh, all good things. And then look at verse 7, because this is kind of the climax of the passage. He says, do not be deceived. Now, 
We've been talking the last three or four weeks about this whole idea of the devil. His main goal is to kill, steal, and destroy you. And the means by which he wants to do that is through deception. We have said over and over, the devil's main strategy against you is, and I think we can put it on the screen for you, is to sell you on deceptive ideas or lies that play to disordered desires or your flesh that are then normalized in a sinful society. And because Paul knows this is true, he says, do not be deceived. Right? Do not fall to the devil's lies. God, he says, cannot be mocked. A man, what's the word? Reaps what he sows. And whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. In other words, here's something you need to know. Nine times out of ten, when you sin and your life begins to fall apart, it's not because God is directly punishing you for your sins. It's just you're reaping the consequences of those sins. Does that make sense? Like Paul says here, like you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap destruction. But on the other hand, if you sow to please the spirit from the spirit, you will reap eternal life. And when you think of eternal life, don't just think of life after this life, but think of like true, deep, abundant life that is welling up in you right here and right now. And then verse nine, this is where we'll focus on this morning. He says, let us therefore not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. In other words, what Paul is saying here is when it comes to this invisible war that we're in, when it comes to this battle that you and I are in right now between the flesh and the spirit, the battle between doing what is right and doing what is wrong, the battle between do I want to follow Jesus or do I not want to follow Jesus, what Paul just said is if you will, right, if you do not throw in the towel, if you do not tap out, if you refuse to give in to temptation, if you will keep pursuing holiness, if you'll keep sowing to the spirit in the end, if you do not give up, you will reap a harvest. That is the promise. And whenever you think of harvest, and a lot of what Paul just said in Galatians 5, what he's talking about here is the fruit of the Spirit, which we talked about last week. What that means is if you keep sowing to the Spirit, you will in your life experience love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. All the things that we are longing for, like that's the harvest that you will reap and it will be for your good, for the good of those around you and ultimately for the glory of God. Do not grow weary in doing good. You will reap, Paul says, what you sow. And this idea of reaping what you sow is what economists refer to as the law of returns which basically says two things, that one, for every action, there is a reaction, and two, oftentimes, the reaction is disproportionate to the action. And so just to kind of like explain what I mean, think back to the gardening illustration that I used earlier. If I take, say, a blackberry seed, and I plant a blackberry blackberry seed, what do I get back? Do I just get back a seed? Like, no, I get back a bush, which produces blackberries. And you can see this is some of our harvest on the screen, right? I mean, the same goes with every other seed we plant. And why is that? Because for every action, there's a reaction. And oftentimes the reaction is disproportionate to the action. Uh, another example I can give is think about a retirement fund. 
a couple of weeks ago, um, our full-time staff met with uh, Jason Knoll, who is a financial advisor in our church, and we uh, he helped us set up basically a retirement plan through Godstone. Um, and after we filled out our application, on our application, we were able to put things like when we plan to retire, which for me is like 2055, um, and how much we plan to put in and where do we plan to put it. And then after we fill out all that information, you can go to Godstone's website, and there's this thing where it's like a, um, I think they call it like a compound interest graph. And the idea is, is they show you how based off of how much you're putting in each month and when you plan to retire and where you're putting your money into, they project this is how much money you're going to have whenever you retire. And if you're looking at the graph, it's kind of interesting if you've ever looked at one of these before. It's like when you're putting money in in your 30s, it's just kind of like doing this. And then in your 40s, it like goes up maybe like a centimeter. But then in your 50s, if you keep giving, like all of a sudden you become Bill Gates. It's amazing. Like, like through the, through the a miracle of compound interest, the amount of money that you have just begins to shoot up. And that is why a lot of um, financial advisors, they will tell you, that it doesn't so much matter how much you put in, but when you start putting in. And what they will say, and I'm not exactly sure what the statistic is, but this sounds about right, is they will say, um, if you, for example, start putting in $200 a month when you're 23 years, 23 years old, you will retire with twice as much as the guy who puts in $2,000 a month when he starts at 43 years old. Something crazy like that, right? Because of the compound interest. And, and fortunately for me, um, my wife and I started putting into a retirement fund about eight years ago. And I recently looked at the portfolio, and um, there's not much in there. Uh, maybe enough for a really good vacation. Um, but I don't stress out because I know that thanks again to the miracle of compound interest, because a reaction is often greater than the action, if I will just stay with it, if I will remain faithful, if I will keep sowing, if I will keep putting in, eventually I'm going to get a good return. Now, This idea of the law of returns, again, what I want you to hear is not just an agrarian reality, it's not just a financial reality, but it is actually a life reality. This is why Cornelius Plantinga, who uh, has a book that is fantastic on sin, it's on the book table for sale for $10, I would encourage you to grab it, he says the following, no matter what we sow, so money or seeds, right, the law of return applies. Good or evil, love or hate, justice or tyranny, grapes or thorns, a gracious compliment or a peevish complaint, whatever we invest, we tend to get back with interest. Lovers are loved, haters hated, forgivers usually get forgiven. Those who live by the sword die by the sword. God is not mocked. You reap what you sow. So what he's saying is this is just the way life works. Like, You trying to get around the law of returns is like you trying to get around the law of gravity. Like it's just not going to happen. And because Paul knows this is true, he applies the law of returns not to your nest egg or to your garden, but to spiritual formation, which is the process by which you become the kind of person you become from the inside out for better or for worse. He goes on in his book and he says the following, Inside a given human life, the dynamics of sowing, reaping, and re-sowing lie behind the process of character formation, or what we would call spiritual formation. The great law of return goes something like this. Sow a thought and reap a deed. Sow a deed, reap another deed. Sow some deeds and reap a habit. Sow some habits and reap a character. Sow a character, reap two thoughts. The new thoughts then begin to pursue careers of their own. Put another way... When you sow, your sowing becomes a cycle that feeds off of its energy and it either in return either spirals out of control and further into destruction or it culminates into Christ-likeness. 
And this is something that, that psychologists and people outside the church talk about as well. For example, uh, Charles Duhigg um, points out in his New York Times bestselling book, The Power of Habit, that our choices become habits, our habits become character, and then oftentimes our character becomes our destiny. Because what we have to understand is, listen, every time you make a decision, your decision makes you. And it makes you either look more like Jesus or more like the devil. This is why Eric Fromm, who is not a Christian, by the way, and I don't agree with everything he says, but I like what he says here. He's actually a former rabbi turned psychologist, and he says the following. The longer we continue to make the wrong decisions, the more our heart hardens. That's why if you keep doing the same sin over and over, like you used to remember how you'd be convicted about it, you'd feel kind of bad about it, but then like the more you do it, the less bad about it you become, right? The less bad about it you feel. He says, however, on the other side, the more often we make the right decision, the more our heart softens, or better, perhaps, come alive, which sounds like something Jesus would say. Each step in life, which increases my self-confidence, my integrity, my courage, my conviction, also increases my capacity to choose the desirable alternative until eventually it becomes more difficult for me to choose the undesirable rather than the desirable. What he's saying here is if you keep making the right decisions, you will come to a place where it will be easier for you to compliment someone than insult someone. It'll become easier for you to like be generous than it will be for you to be greedy. Like That's what he's saying. On the other hand, each act of surrender and cowardice weakens me, opens the path for more acts of surrender, and eventually freedom is lost. Between the extreme, when I can no longer do a wrong act, and the extreme when I have lost my freedom to right action, meaning you come to a place where you can't even do right now if you wanted to, there are innumerable degrees of freedom of choice. Most people fail, listen to this, not because they cannot lead a better life, they fail because they do not wake up and see when they stand at a fork in the road and have to decide. Meaning, if I can just sum all that up, with every decision you make, think about this, today, tomorrow, all the days that follow, with every decision you make, you are at a fork in the road. And in these just innumerable ordinary, boring, thoughtless, daily decisions, you are shaped into who you do or do not become. Because again, your decisions become habits and your habits become character and character eventually can become destiny. And I think about this when it comes to an affair. I've been doing marriage counseling with couples for 15 years and not once as a couple came in because a husband or wife had an affair and the affair actually started with the act of the affair. But the affair always started thousands of acts before that. Maybe it was an act to not have date night. Maybe it was an act to look at pornography. Maybe it was an act to not go to therapy whenever you needed therapy or to not confess sin whenever you needed to confess sin. And through these decisions, right, or maybe you're, you're flirting with the person at work or whatever, through the thousands of decisions that were made earlier, eventually it came to a head and an affair was born. Uh, the same is true when it comes to a negative person. Have you ever been around just negative people before? I mean, like they're always complaining about something. If something can go wrong, it's going to go wrong. And here's the thing. Nobody just woke up one day and said, you know what? I would really like to become a killjoy. Like I would really just like to be a drag for people to be around. Nobody wants to be like that. But you know what happens is you get into this place where you make decisions, decisions to complain, decisions to criticize, decisions to play the victim, decisions to be cynical, decisions, uh, decisions to focus on the negative. And through that, through those decisions, eventually you become the kind of person who is nitpicky and just not fun to be around at all, right? And we love you, but you're just not fun to be around, okay? And why is that? Because again, every time you make a decision, the decision makes us. 
either to look more like Jesus or more like the devil, either to become more free in Christ or more enslaved by our sin. C.S. Lewis says it like this, every time you make a choice, you're returning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses into something a little different from what it was before. So every time you make a decision, it changes you. You do something, it does something to you. And taking your life as a whole with all of your innumerable choices, all your life long, therefore, he says, you are slowly turning the central thing that's inside of you into a heavenly creature or a hellish creature. He goes on to say of those who reject Jesus and continue to sow to the flesh, in the beginning they will not, but in the end they cannot. The point he's trying to make is decisions become habits, Habits become character. Your character will become your destiny. Eventually, what he's saying is you really can become the kind of person who maybe right now you can choose to do what's wrong, but then you'll come to a place where you have no choice but to do wrong. You'll have no choice but to sin. You'll have no choice but to look at pornography. Like you cannot not pop pills. You cannot not try to get high. You cannot not gossip about other people. And what you have to understand is, listen, just as there's a tendency in our culture for the rich to get richer and the poor to get poorer, there's very much a tendency in all of us, right, for the good to get better and the bad to get worse. And you know this is true if you've ever been around anybody who's over 80 years old. Because if you've ever been around somebody who's over 80, you know they're either amazing or horrible, right? They really are. And I'm not trying to be mean, it's just true. And that's because very few of us just stay in the middle road. I was talking... um, to the, the last service, Bill Fisher is a man who comes to our early service. He's 83 years old. And though Bill was, uh, he, he mentors me and we spend time together. And though he'd be the first to tell you that he is far from perfect. I mean, he really is one of the most amazing men I've ever met in my life. And so I try to spend as much time around him as I can. Here's the thing about Bill. Uh, Bill has gone through hardships. Uh, he has gone through transitions. He's had a lot of success, but he's also had failure. He's had a lot of gain, but he's also had loss. And because he's continued to follow Jesus... If you spend time around him right now, you will discover he is genuinely a person of joy and love and peace. I mean, he is so incredible to be around. I had him take the Enneagram a couple weeks ago. Every single one of his numbers came back way more resourceful than non-resourceful. I'm talking about like 90s resourceful, like two or three non-resourceful. And I told Adam, I was like, man, that can be you and me if we just keep following Jesus until we're 83 years old, right? Like we're almost there, right? And, um, you know, the point in me is sharing that is just to say... Again, people don't stay in the middle ground. Like people don't stay in neutral. By the choices they make, they either are moving themselves, think about this, closer to heaven or closer to hell. They're moving themselves by the decisions they make. Either They're, they're making themselves either more and more into the kind of person who would enjoy heaven, or they're making themselves more and more into the kind of the person who wants hell. And if that sounds crazy to you, just think about it like this. In heaven, God is going to be really hard for you to avoid. You ever thought about that? Like, God's not going to be at the Wizard of Oz. He's like behind a curtain. Like, there is no corner you will be able to go in heaven that God's presence won't be there. And for some of you, because of decisions that you make, you have grown to love your sin more than you love God, and therefore, heaven would just not be that appealing to some of you. And an example I can give is whenever I was a teenager, I was not a follower of Jesus. I was living a life of sexual immorality. And every time that I would commit sexual sin because I knew it was wrong and because I knew that my parents knew that it was wrong, I would always commit a sexual act outside of my parents' presence when they weren't watching. Because I knew if they were watching, that would take all the fun out of it, right? Like I knew they wouldn't approve of that. And here's what you have to understand. When you sin, 
whether you realize it or not, you are consciously trying to live outside of an awareness of God's presence. You're trying to live outside of God's authority. Guys, and please hear me. The reason this is so important, please hear this. Every time you make a decision to live outside of God's authority, you become more and more like the kind of person who enjoys living outside of God's authority. And if you don't want to live under God's authority now, why do you think you would want to for all eternity? You ever thought about that? Like if you don't want to live in community with followers of Jesus now, why do you think you're going to want to later? If you don't want to experience and sit in the presence of God and worship him and sing to him in this life, what makes you think all of a sudden you're just going to want to do that in the next life? And I know that that is kind of a sobering thought, but what you have to understand this morning is with every decision you make to sin, listen, your desire to live outside the presence of God becomes stronger and stronger. And therefore, if you do not stop sowing to the flesh, you will become the kind of person who will want hell more than you will want heaven. Because in heaven, the sins that you love will no longer be attainable, and the God that you've tried to avoid will no longer be avoidable. This is why C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Problem of Pain, says the following, I willingly believe that the damned, that's those who are in hell, I willingly believe that the damned are, in one sense, successful rebels to the end. They just got what they wanted. The doors, he says, of hell are locked on the inside. I do not mean that the ghosts may not wish to come out of hell, but they certainly do not or do not will even the first preliminary stages of that self-abandonment through which alone the soul can reach any good. Listen to this. They enjoy forever the horrible freedom they have demanded, and therefore self-enslaved. Just as the blessed, forever submitting to obedience, become through all eternity more and more free. Because this is true as pastors, we believe that one of the key tasks in our discipleship to Jesus is by the decisions we make to become the kind of people who will one day fit right into and enjoy the kingdom of God. To become the kind of person right now by the kind of decisions that we are making that line up with the kingdom of God principles. To become the kind of people who want to live in the presence of God. To become the kind of people who say yes to what Jesus says yes to and no to what Jesus says no to. And therefore, please hear me. What this means is right now is the time for you to purge your sin. Now is the time. Now. Not whenever you get into college. Not whenever the kids get out of it. Not, not whenever you get married. Like, like not whenever you get more money. Now is the time for you to stop sowing to the flesh, which is leading you to death and slavery, and to start sowing to the Spirit. To walk in step with Jesus, which, actually, which as a result will lead you to a life of freedom and fulfillment. And I just want you to know, like, if you begin to engage in this, if you begin to try to sow more to the spirit than to the flesh, you are going to engage in a war, which is what we've been talking about. But what I want you to hear is, listen, this war is not like a tug of war. Okay? Some of you, how many of you remember back when our church used to have the Missional Community Olympics? Anybody remember that? Several of you? Yeah. Oh, the all, hey. So, good to see you, Emily. Um, here's the thing. I didn't know you were back there. Emily, let me just tell you this story real fast. This is really good. I promise you. It has nothing to do with the sermon, but you'll want to hear it. Um, 
we were, we kind of have something to do with Sarman. So we were in a tug of war match in the MC Olympics, the last one, and we were facing off against, I can't remember what missional community was, I think it was Jason Wolfenbarger and his group. And like every single guy on their team was like D1 athlete or like 300 pounds of solid muscle. Exaggerate a little bit, but pretty close. You get the idea. And, you know, there was over there and the rest of our team, like we didn't look the most athletic or whatever else, but thanks to Emily and Steven and their tactics, we dominated and we won the entire tug-of-war event. It was amazing. And some of you are like, Jared, why are you bragging? You weren't even pulling the rope. You're right. But I was cheering them on and I was praying. <laughs> and the prayer of a righteous man revealeth much, right? And so, um, anyways, if you think about tug-of-war, back to, back to the sermon... You get this image of you've got one team over here and you've got another team over here. And oftentimes, if you watch, I mean, it doesn't look like any fun when you're in tug of war. I mean, your heels are dug into the ground. I mean, you're getting rope burn on your hands. You're sweating. You're screaming. You're yelling. And if the teams are fairly, pretty much evenly matched, I mean, you're just kind of at a standstill, pulling, pulling, yelling. And eventually, one team gets tired. They fall over and they get dragged across the line. And I think for some of you, if you're not careful, like that's the way you're going to think the war against our flesh is or against the devil is like the devil's over here in our flesh. And like we're over here with Jesus and the spirit and, and we're just pulling and they're pulling and they're pulling. And eventually it's just like, man, I'm so tired. I got to give up. And they're going to pull me across the line. Guys, like that's a lie. Like though we are in a battle, the victory is sure. As we talked about last week, like the power of Satan and sin has been cut off in your life. Like it's not even close to being evenly matched. You understand? And the devil is lying to you when he tells you, you need to give up because there's just no way you can beat that sin. There's no way you can stop sowing to the, sowing to the flesh. Like, guys, that is all deceit on his part. As Paul talked about last week in Galatians chapter 5, if you have given your life to Jesus, you have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, and you have received the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is inside of you right now. Which means no matter who you are, where you come from, like, you're no longer a slave to sin. Think about that. No longer. You have, you have right now so much potential inside of you to live the life that God has called you and created you to live. Like, you do not have to to live as a slave to your desires. You do not, you have right now the power that you need to make the right decision. From your morning routine to that line item in your budget, you do not have to sow to the flesh. You have the power right now in you, in the Spirit, to sow to the Spirit. So the question you have to ask then this morning is this. Which one do you want to sow to? You, which one do you want to sow to? Where do you want to invest the resources of your life moving forward, from this day forward? Where do you want to invest your time? Where do you want to invest your money? Where do you want to invest your energy and your routine and just your heart posture in the day-to-day life? It's your choice. And here's what, please hear this, please hear this. Oftentimes, we think that the major decisions in life are what shape us. Decisions like, who should I marry? Where should I go to school? What career path should I choose? And those things are all powerful, and they do shape us, but please hear me. Those things pale in comparison to what you choose to do tomorrow morning before you go to work or school. They pale in comparison to whether or not you decide, do I want to live in community or not live in community? Do I want to confess sin or not confess sin? Do I want to forgive or not forgive? Do I want to practice generosity or do I not want to practice generosity? All the major decisions, all of them, 
They all pale in comparison to the small daily habits and decisions that you make on a daily basis that are in return making you. Jocko Willink, who is a, uh, was a Navy SEAL commander uh, during the Battle of Ramadi, he has a podcast that I listen to called the Jocko Podcast. He's not a Christian, but I love a lot of his podcasts because he basically just has veterans on and they talk about life and war and how life is war and how we relate to it. And as a, as a Christian, I'm like, yes, like life is war. Like we're in, like we talk about in the series, we're in an invisible war every single day. And I recently read his book called Discipline Equals Freedom. And I want you to hear what he says. I think there's so much truth that we need to hear today when applied to the spiritual war that we're in. He says the following, we are taken apart slowly, convinced to take the easier path, enticed by comfort. Most of us aren't defeated in one decisive battle. We are defeated one tiny, seemingly insignificant surrender at a time that chips away at who we should really be. It is a slow, incremental process. It chips away at our will. It chips away at our discipline. Without realizing it, one day you wake up and you have become something that you never would have allowed. Instead of discipline, you are disorganized and lost. Instead of moving forward and progressing, you are moving backwards and decaying. And those things happen without you seeing them, without you even recognizing them. You have to be vigilant. Listen to that war language. Remember the first week in our sermon series, I told you about my army ranger friend who's actually going to be here in February and spend some time with us. And he used to say every single day whenever he was over in Afghanistan and Iraq, he would say to his platoon, stay alert, stay alive, stay alert, stay alive. He said that people would come over there, they'd be hyper vigilant, but then they'd go away, they wouldn't get shot at, life would go pretty good, and they would, they would forget they were in war, and then boom, they'd be taken out. This is the kind of language that Jocko's using here. You have to be vigilant. You have to be on guard. You have to hold the line on seemingly insignificant little things, things that shouldn't matter, but that do. With that being said, again, what Paul wants to say to you and me today is do not grow weary in doing good. Do not grow weary in doing good. Remember that with every little, seemingly insignificant decision, when no one else is watching, you can either sow to the Spirit or sow to the flesh. You can either open yourself up to experience more of Jesus and the life and the freedom that he has for you, or you can, in the words of C.S. Lewis, become self-enslaved. And because this is true this week, what I want us to focus on is, is in order to help us sow to the Spirit rather than to the flesh, because we're working off this idea that spiritual disciplines are spiritual warfare, because we believe spiritual disciplines actually uh, help us fight the world, the flesh, and the devil by, by helping us replace our bad habits with good habits and opening us up to the Spirit's power in our life. Um, what we're going to focus on this week is the, pre- the spiritual discipline of fasting. And if you remember back in our practicing series in, uh, I think it was 2018 in August and September, we talked about fasting. Um, you can go back and listen to that. Or if you are in a missional community, you should be in your missional community today. You'll talk about fasting, what it is, why you should do it, how you should do it. But if you're not a missional community and you want to participate in the practice, I would encourage you to go to uh, crossingparagold.com forward slash practices. And, and basically the idea behind a, a fast is you're literally, um, you're denying your body of food for the purpose of starving your flesh so that you can feed on the Spirit of God. That's the point. And so when you fast, you take your body, and your body's not bad, but your body does have some pretty bad desires. And when you fast, you take your body and you, and you turn it in from being an enemy to being your ally. 
Does that make sense? In your fight against the flesh. And so again, there's more information about that online and you can grab it. All that being said, listen, and we're done this morning. The call is not to give up in doing good. The call is to not give up. I would assume in a room this size, some of you are so discouraged when it comes to your spiritual formation right now. There's some of you who feel just beat down in life. Some of you that when you think about your discipleship to Jesus, you feel like you have taken one step forward and two steps back. And maybe for some of you, you're this close to throwing in the towel. I mean, it really is a miracle that you're here this morning. And maybe you look good on the outside, but on the inside, you're about to tap out. And I just want you to know, like, if that is where you are, I'm so glad that you're here today. And I want you to know this is a safe place for you to come and work through your doubts and your fears and all the stuff that embarrasses you that you feel like you can't say anywhere else out loud or you'll be, have those things held against you. Glad you're here. I also want you to know this, that I can relate to you. I am not up here giving this talk today as somebody who's like arrived and I've like whipped every sin. And I mean, just this past week, um, I came home. You know, I'm a pastor. I'm spending time working on this sermon. And I come home, my wife had cooked dinner. And uh, as soon as I walked in the door, she said, Hey, I just want to let you know, um, I've mashed the potatoes a little bit too much and now they're pasty. And rather than being just Christ-like in that moment saying, man, baby, it's totally okay. It doesn't matter at all. Like, I love you. I'm so thankful for you. Like, thank you for the effort. Like, I'm sure it'll be great. I don't remember what I said, but it was some sort of snarky remark. It's kind of passive-aggressive. I let her know, like, hey, you should have known how to make potatoes by now, you know? Kind of like just by a look I gave her. And, and honestly, like, I, I had to go to my DNA, and I confessed that to him, and I went back to my wife that next morning because I was in my quiet time, and I always ask God in quiet time, like, hey, what would be pleasing you today? And he said to me, you should start with asking for your wife's forgiveness for sinning against her last night. And so I did, but after even I asked her for forgiveness, and she was so gracious, I just, like, found myself in this shame storm where I was just like, like, really, Jesus? Like, I mean, like, I get up every dang morning and read my Bible and pray. Every morning. I Sabbath for 24 hours every single week. I've gone to therapy. I've met with spiritual directors. I practice the spiritual disciplines. I've been following Jesus for 15 years. And in some ways, if I can be honest, I promise you, I really do feel like I've grown like that much. Like anybody else relate to that at all? And um, as I was just kind of sitting in that shame storm, I was reminded God brought to mind something that one of my mentors said to me a couple years ago. And I'll just share it with you as an encouragement. But he said to me this when it comes to my discipleship to Jesus and becoming the kind of man, or for you becoming the kind of woman that maybe you want to be. He says the following, you don't have to be in a hurry to get there. You just have to be willing to go. You don't have to be in a hurry to get there. You just have to be willing to go. And so here's the thing today. If you hear this message and you feel a little overwhelmed and you're just like, oh my gosh, look at how far I still have to go. Like, don't think about how far you still have to go. Like, the question is, like, are you willing to go? Are you willing to go? Are you willing to start where you are, wherever that is, and willing to move forward? Because if you're willing to keep sowing to the Spirit, if you're willing to keep planting the little seeds, to keep making the right decisions to honor Jesus, Paul says you will eventually reap what you sow. And I know, guys, if you look at your life, you're in that miles, and it's going to be so overwhelming because you see so many just glaring weaknesses and sins. And so here's my encouragement to you today. Don't try to boil the whole ocean. But just do the next right thing. Just the next right thing. My wife has been running, training for a 5K, and she sometimes she gets tired, she has to remind herself, just one more step. She might still have a mile to go. Just take one more step. Just take one more step. 
just take one more step into the right direction. And I don't know what that may look like for some of you. It might be that maybe you go to the gym today and you have a, an opportunity. Do I want to lust after this woman or do I want to turn my eyes? And at that moment, you turn your eyes. And maybe it's a decision of um, do I want to lie in order to protect myself or do I want to tell the truth? And you make a decision, you just tell the truth in that moment. Or maybe it's a decision tomorrow morning where you say, do I want to actually like set my alarm a little early and wake up and read scripture and pray? Or do I want to, like, when it's because it's cold, like stay in bed and just like look through social media? Get up and read the Bible. And just do the next right thing. Choose in these moments to surrender to God. And sometimes if it helps, it helps me to literally just place my palms up in a moment when I've got a decision and just go, okay, God, your will be done. Like, here you go, God. Like, here's this moment. And if you will do that, whether you're on the golf course or in the gym or at school or at work or by yourself when you are at home with your iPhone, if you will do that, if you will continue, if you will not grow weary in doing good, if you will continue to increasingly bring your life under the authority of Jesus, the promise from Scripture again is you will, in fact, reap a harvest. Some of you are really close to the harvest. Don't give up. You'll reap a harvest. And it will be for your good, and it will be for the good of those around you, and it'll be for God's glory. With that being said, I invite you to stand with me as the band comes forward this morning. And we're going to now enter into a time of communion. And please, before you start shuffling around and asking who's picking up the kids and where are you going to eat and what time it is and all of that, I want to remind you that, that this is one of the most sacred things we can do together as a church, to partake of communion. And so I really want our heart to be in the right posture when we take of this. The Bible actually warns against taking this in an irreverent posture. And so um, <clears throat> when you come and partake of communion, some of you I know are, are, you're a guest today, and this is probably going to be unique. Even if you've grown up in church, most of you probably never take communion like this. And if it feels a little bit awkward, like that's okay. Um, but here's what I want you to know that we're doing here. When you come forward and you partake of communion, Remember that whenever you tear off the piece of bread, that it represents the perfect life of Christ on your behalf. The reality is all of us in here have at times sown to the flesh rather than to the spirit. We've all missed the mark. And what we're reminded of when we tear off the piece of bread, that we don't have to be perfect because Jesus was perfect on our behalf. Remember that. Meditate on that. And then when you dip it in the juice, take the piece of bread and dip it in the juice and remember that Jesus Christ went to the cross as a perfect sacrifice and he shed his blood for you and for me for the forgiveness of our sins. So what that means is we have two stations in the front and two in the back. You can bring your best and biggest sins to this table and know that God's grace is sufficient for you. You don't have to walk out of here in shame or guilt and fear because guess what? If you've trusted in Christ, you get to reap what he has sown on your behalf, as we just sung earlier. Because he's gone through a death, burial, and resurrection, you and I get to experience a death, burial, and a resurrection. We come out on the other side more beautiful and more glorious, and we get to reign with Christ victoriously. And so if you're here and you're a Christian, come and partake. We have two stations in the front, two in the back. If you're here, though, and you have never trusted Jesus Christ, so glad that you're here. And I would love to talk with you about that. I know Adam would as well. I'll be right here in the front. Adam will be here. Might be a little embarrassing. People might look at you and be like, what's going on with them? They got some sort of like junk in their life or whatever. Who cares what they think? What matters is what happens right now between you and God. And I would encourage you, if you want to give your life to Christ today, come and talk with me, come and talk with Adam. We'd love to talk with you about the next steps. So let's pray together. We'll partake of communion and sing one more song. Father, I thank you so much for uh, each person who is in the room today. Uh, Jesus, we thank you so much that you did come and live a perfect, sinless life that we could never live. Um, thank you for then going to a cross, and you went there and you suffered as we should have. And I thank you that you rose from the dead through the power of the Spirit.
so we know now the check has cleared, that truly our debt has been paid. And now we have the same Holy Spirit that you have been given to walk in the life that you've called us to walk in. And it's in Christ's name we pray and ask these things. Amen.